1: This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We're recording on Thursday, April 28th, 2022. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. I'm Jeff Neal coming to you from bookriot.com. It's our semi-annual recommendation show. This season, we we skin it as moms, dads, and grads in the holidays, it's holidays, it's really an excuse to take some recommendations. It is It is a gift-buying time of year. Uh, Mother's Day is next weekend, so this will at least give some of you that had Mother's Day's recommendations a few days to get uh, in on that, and then Father's Day's and grad's come as the season progresses. We're going to take them as they come. Rebecca, sometimes we talk—well, we have a couple top-of-the-line things to do real quick. First of all, we so didn't know the 535 <laughs> honorees— that we were talking about the 2021 list.
0: And time is so weird right now that neither of us noticed.
1: And a list, actually a, pat, a patron commented on the post that went up early. Hey, just so you guys know, you're a year behind. And we also didn't know any people on the 530, even less. The Nathan Harris should have clued me in because like that book is out. But I didn't know if it's, it's upcoming books. Like I didn't, I didn't catch it there. Thank you so much for... Um, uh, catching it early. I don't I don't know that we'll go over this. There'll be a link in the show notes on the top of everything else. Thank you to Rudy for pointing that out. Why don't you, you want to talk about the listener survey? Why don't you do that?
0: Yeah, every year-ish, we like to survey listeners to find out what you like about podcasts, what your interests are, you know, what kinds of advertising is relevant to you or not, um, all sorts of things. And so we are running our annual listener survey. You can find it by going to bookriot.com slash listener survey. Uh, or we'll that? have a link, right? You like how that yeah. works? Uh, or we'll have a link to it in the show notes. So you can tell us about your podcast listening interest. It'll only take a couple of minutes and you'll be entered to win a $50 gift card to the indie bookstore of your choice when you do that. So you'll be helping us out. Helping us, you know, better target and better refine what we're doing here on all of not just this show, but on all of the shows that we produce. Um, So, again, that's bookriot.com slash listener survey or click the link in in your show notes to check that out.
1: Um, We're going to get into the recommendations here in a minute. Were there any patterns that you saw here? There um, were not. This sometimes was... we talk about trends, but I'm not sure there's much to say. Yeah,
0: I didn't bump into any noticeable trends, I don't think, or multiple people asking for the same kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I feel like every time we do this, folks, and I love this, get a little more comfortable just being like, you know what, I want a recommendation for myself. Here I go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So there were a bunch of those that I was delighted to see. And fo- of course, you know, folks at our, I guess we, since we are talking about Patreon, we should talk about that quickly, that mm. the latest thing in the Patreon feed which is at patreon.com slash podcast was a look back at our winter new release draft we reviewed the titles that each of us picked back in January we talked about which ones of those we read from either of our lists, things that we've read that we wish that we had drafted, and some other interesting highlights from the first part of the year. So if, you're, if you haven't yet joined us on the Patreon, we're having a really good time over there, and you can jump in. And at one of our levels, it's the O'Neill's Razor level, mm. the highest level of Patreon membership, one of the things you get is priority uh, in these shows where we do listener requests. So the first handful are from some of our members of The Wheelhouse.
1: Yep let's do that uh before we get into it let's take our first sponsor break and we'll get right to the uh stick to our knitting here okay this seems like a jeff question so you want to read first and uh, i'll receive sure yeah this is
0: from amelia over at the wheelhouse she says i started a new job in january and um reading business and leadership books on work time is allowable good job new company that's great Uh, she says i've read a lot of the obvious choices before looking for other suggestions for an idea of the type of book things like the speed of trust and other covey books crucial conversations Thinking Fast and Slow, um, the Malcolm Gladwell books, and Colin Powell's memoir. So, yeah, I think you, this is a shared wheelhouse space, and you are the captain of that wheelhouse. So, take it away.
1: Yeah. So this is this is Busman's MBA 102. Sounds like kind of reading. Um, so I'm picking stuff that maybe doesn't. You, you probably won't find it at the airport. But that's, there's nothing bad about the airport business books, but this is like the cut behind this they're pretty specific i don't without knowing what kind of job you're doing it's hard to say so i'll pick two that i think about a lot and i reference a lot and i don't see talked out talked about a lot Mm. the first is a book called the outsiders by um, william Thorndike. and as i've done business more and more and i guess i've gotten through the 101 reading myself the more i'm more interested in just case studies like stories of things that actually happened in business and companies and this one is uh, Eight Unconventional CEOs in the Radical Rational Blueprint for Success. It's just taking eight CEOs who are in charge of companies at interesting times and talked about what they did and why it worked. Um, Warren Buffett, this really gave, got a boost. He na- made his number one reading pick in an annual shareholder letter about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really become one of like the Buffett books, like The Intelligent Investor or something else like that. I think because it is pretty nitty-gritty. My, my favorite antidote from this is, and this is the nerdiest thing I'm going to say about this, <laughs> I, I promise, is one of the chapters is about a CEO who was working for what would become a cable company that would eventually be bought by at and T. I I think it's called Capital mm-hmm. Cities. And he invented EBITDA, which is earnings oh. before <laughs> interests, taxes, deductions, and amortizations, which is a... Th- that's a, these These are people that invented different ways of doing accounting, doing business, so basically taking out huge loans to build cable networks and then paying interest and then paying the principal on those loans. but he was trying to get away he was trying to find a way to account for the growth outside of all that capital investment and he's like well what what's our earnings before we do taxes and depreciation and amortization and that's really the metric that matters for us and it became an industry standard like when I was learning first learning about financial stuff that felt like something that came off of stone tablets from like, I don't yes. know, Adam Smith or something like the invisible hand just, wrote it.
0: I was just thinking that, that that feels like one of those things that has always yes. been that way. Like, right. of course, this is the thing you talk about. Of course, this is how accounting of works. Course.
1: Yeah. And it makes sense for some companies. And it's not that EBITDA is so interesting and important. It's that people invent it. Like there's business inventions that don't get talked about. There's these stories and strategies that are really useful to just thinking about what's possible. And there's no one-to-one correlation for most businesses, but the reason it's called it's outsiders is about unconventionality. And that leads me to my second one, which is Loon Shots. Um, and the author's name is Safi Bacall. And this is how to do, you know, a lot of us are working on a day-in-day basis, week-to-week basis, quarter-quarter basis, tr- just trying to keep the business alive, right? Just trying to do the things that keep the business alive. This subtitle is How to Nurture the Crazy Ideas That Win Wars, Cure Disease, and Transform Industries. The Loon Shot being What's the Big Idea That Could Really Change Our Company, Have an Impact on the World? You know, the Steve Jobsian thing has put a dent in the universe, and that's almost become a cliche. But, like, how in the hurly burly of just doing your job can you think about big, wild, impractical ideas? How do you pick some to try? How do you nurture them? How do you let them go? I thought it was really cool, and a lot of them are case studies um, about specific, you know, Google X and some other things that come along. But those two together, I just like these on-the-ground stories of particular business cases and practices. Outside, it's the it's kind of the antidote to the almost the Gladwellian version of I'm going to take all of these individual ones and synthesize a a thesis out of them. What if you Mm -hmm. just look at the data? Look, here are the stories. Maybe it applies to you. Maybe it gives you an idea. Maybe a dozen. So that's Loonshots by Safi Bacall and uh, The Outsiders by William Thorndike. Those are my two.
0: Those are are great picks. For mine, I went a little more towards, I think, like a little heavier on leadership and less on business, maybe, um, for the business slash leadership that Amelia is asking for. The first one I want to talk about is The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. This was like sneakily transformative i think in the way that Mm -hmm. we think about how our work gets done because it's one of those things that seems obvious and yet it's unobvious enough that someone needed to write a really great book about it um that you do all of these things throughout the course of a workday, things that are repeated tasks that happen you know, every day or every week or every month or whatever. And it's easy to think, I know how to do this thing. I know the four or 14 steps or however many that are involved in it. When it's time, I'll just go do those steps. And most of the time, that's fine. But like, if you have a bad day, if you're just hungry, if something disrupts your flow when you're on the third step, you might miss a step in a process that you've done a million times and the, the feeling that it's wrote is a feeling that's like just not accurate all of mm-hmm. the time. You don't really have those. Um, a way to prevent errors is to have a checklist. <laughs> it sounds so obvious, but Gawande goes into like operating roo- operating rooms and hospitals and businesses that manufacture really complex things and studied how creating checklists, reduced their error rate in the case of the physicians it reduces you know accidents and secondary illness that are caused um, by mistakes that happen Uh, during procedures and it's just applicable no matter what kind of business you're in somebody on your team and you probably are doing things that how to do that thing just lives in your head and maybe it got passed down to you from the previous person who did that job and it lived in their head and having it documented having a checklist of all the elements that need to be done and in what order this is the thing that we say frequently if something comes up of like like a thing that seems simple how did this simple thing not get done Most likely the answer is because there's not a list somewhere telling you exactly what step to take. And most of the time that's fine. But when it's not fine, you need the checklist.
1: (laughs) It's true. I mean, one, one, one heuristic here is this is for the listener that we're speaking to, but also generally that year, the next time you make a mistake or a mistake is made in your Mm -hmm. company or organization, ask yourself, would this have been pretended if there's a checklist for this? The shocking answer is how many would have been? Yep, it would have been if there was one and and, and the person used it.
0: Like, even for myself, you know, I travel, this is a, Mm. from a personal example, but I travel a lot. I can pack for a trip in like eight minutes with my eyes closed. And yet I have gone on multiple trips where I got to my destination and didn't have underwear. (laughs) And... Then I had a trip to Target. Checklist Manifesto convinced me, you know what? You have nice apps in your phone that do things. Just make a packing basics checklist. And if it's not, hey, remember to put your socks in your bag, it usually does catch something that in my just, you know, sort of from muscle memory grabbing stuff, I might have missed as I was packing for the trip. And there's just dozens of examples inside the way that we run Book Riot where checklists have cut down on error rates that don't need to happen. And mm-hmm. give just they're just a transformative tool that's so simple. So I loved the checklist manifesto. And um, also much more recently, a lot of my work and a lot of the way that I think about what I do as our chief of staff is about not just making the things happen, but dealing with the people stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reading a lot about those kinds of things. Um, You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy, which I can't remember if I've talked about we talked about show. it
1: together on the show, I believe. Oh, we did? Well, actually, okay. I think we did, or we trumpeted it in our company slack, and a lot of people like, yeah, that's really <laughs> yeah. important. I
0: right anyway. I can't remember where we talked about it um, at any rate I feel fine repeating myself because it's a really important book I think about how to become a good listener what are traits of good listening and actual like, practical skills you can put into place when you're talking to someone and trying to get information from them about whatever it is uh, she Kate Murphy is a longtime reporter so listening is a skill that is important to her um, and she wants to learn this for herself and then also you know produces a book about it but she interviews like one of of the lead interrogators from the CIA who talks about, you know, mm-hmm. how they would conduct conversations to get people to open up to them. Uh, she speaks to a woman who's known in the world of uh, conducting focus groups as being like a, the person you go to for conducting focus groups to get people to really talk about their reactions and opinions to things. There's some more predictable ones. I think she talks to like some clergy members and some therapists, but there are just a variety of people and professions that she investigates finding out how do you have conversations that get you to the core of like what's going on with somebody or what's going on in a situation and then really have that information that you need so that you can identify the issue and from there have a better idea of what's going to solve it or what's going to address the concern. A really beautiful impact of this also is that it often has the product, the impact of the person on the other side actually feels heard. These mm. are listening techniques that aren't just reflective. What I hear you saying is X, Y, Z. This isn't like a rote performance a of Turing listening. Turing
1: test of a listening therapist. Yeah, right. Exactly.
0: Which I think is really common in business. I feel like a lot of companies, like that message has gotten out of like, you need to make people feel heard. You should indicate that you are listening to them. Parrot back what they say. And most people are onto that at this point. Like, I know if you're just reflective listening at me there's a difference between actually hearing me and letting me know that you understand. And the skills in the book get you to will help get you to that place of you walk away from the conversation with a deeper understanding of what is going on. And the person who is talking to you hopefully walks away feeling like you have that understanding and that they really felt heard. So that's You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy.
1: I really should, even for own internal purposes, this is kind of a sidebar to Rebecca, have a list of like the Bustman's MBA books in like some sort of power ranking, and then a line saying above this line is worth it, and then above there. And I forget myself. Like I started looking at my, I keep an, I just keep a, a, a Google Doc that has multiple tabs for a year, and I just type the books out as I finish mm-hmm. something. But they're not organized in a particular way. And so when I was, I was trying to think about what would I actually recommend here that's a little bit different. There's so many, and so many of them are useful. But it's hard to pick just a couple. Like I think we have enough now where there's a particular use case that we suggest to. So this is very general. You know, you're know, you going to hear some more about this. And the, there's another question that's kind of actually more of a 101 list here in a minute. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. It looks like I'm the next one. This is from Wheelhouse member Maria. I would like to ask for a recommendation for myself. I would love to discover some new poets. I love Ann Carson. And I've also enjoyed Maggie Nelson and Amanda Gorman, Claudia Rankine, and Tracy K. Smith. I would love to find another poet, particularly with a robust backlist, if that's possible, that mirrors any of those mentioned. Also not opposed to someone who might be different, but also the same, if that makes any sense. You know what it does. We know what you mean. If it helps at all, some of my other favorite writers are Raxan Gay, Donna Tartt, Hanya Yanagihara, Nora Ephron, and Ned Bezzini. Also had a question for... Oh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, You go first.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I took from Maria's list of favorite authors that she must feel comfortable with some of the heavier yeah. subject matter. Like Hanya Yanagihara is not on here because you like to have a good time with your mm-hmm. books all the time. Uh, so I think I want to go with Hanif Abdurraqib, who, you know, I loved his essay collection, A Little Devil in America. But the thing that makes that essay collection great is that he's a poet. And A Fortune for Your Disaster is a collection that came out several years ago, but um, continues to be brilliant, uh, it's wonderful. There's a previous collection called The Crown Ain't Worth Much. He writes from a deeply personal place. He's a black man in the world. You get things about race. You also get like stuff about Marvin Gaye and ideas about Tesla. Um, I remember something relating. There's something about a dog in a couple of these poems. Mm. Um, he wrestles a lot with, the, I mean, the things poets wrestle a lot with, heartbreak and big human emotion and sort of milestone experiences. Um, I really, really love a fortune for your disaster it was my introduction to abdur on a similar tip Denez Smith's collection um, Don't Call Us Dead is a, a little bit more recent I think it came out around the same time as Claudia Rankine and the whatever the Claudia Rankine collection that is um, that little slim book it's Slipping my mind. We've had a long day. Yeah, um, but he I think he is under read and under talked about, um, though nominated for for a lot of awards. So I think you should take a look at that. And then on a slightly lighter but wonderful tip. I got turned on to Louise Glick, you know, when she won the Nobel mm-hmm. Prize and and famously imagined what her conversation with her therapist about trying to grow tomatoes would be like um but she's huge backlist you can buy the collected poems oh, of louise glick no. and it is like volume one is like a thousand pages long <laughs> that'll mm-hmm. keep you busy for a while and that's I, I found hers to be meditative there's kind of a like adjacent to reverent quality to the way that she writes about a lot of things. Um I think you could have a very nice time sort of meditating on what it is to be human between Denise Smith and Ifa Durakiev and Louise Glick
1: Those are good. I would have picked some if maybe not all of those myself. Um this is kind of a what's hot in in the world of poetry. And mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not joking about this. Time as a Mother by Ocean Vuong came out last week yes. or the week before. Um I've bought it. I haven't read it yet. Um, but it made the, it was on the nonfiction list, which I guess makes sense for poetry, but it made the, the top 10 book scan bestselling nonfiction books of the week last week, which is super unusual for poetry. Amanda Gorman being the exception that proves the rule. Um, also Wong has a really great novel, um, called on earth. We're briefly gorgeous and an earlier collection of poetry. So you can do a fiction poetry thing. So I think that's, that's what's popular. It's He's a beautiful writer. Um, there's there's no question about that, too. Nikki Giovanni, I, I, I'm suggesting the selected poem of Nikki Giovanni just because there's a good volume of that. But she has a wonderful um, backlist, really coming out of the black arts movement. Um, one one of the true national treasures in American poetry. I encourage you to pick that up. And this is more of a, a, a tool. Poets.org, it's a really great website. It's the website of the Poetry Foundation. Mm-hmm. And this is on deep background, but they got a, I think a hundred million dollar endowment from the Eli Lilly heiress, wow. and died and left a hundred million dollars to poetry, the Poetry Foundation, and like fifty million to her cat. Um, and this <laughs> this is the, it's one of the best websites you can find for literary stuff. You can browse poetry; they have a lot there. They have spo- you know, they have audio files, a lot of collections. Um, sometimes I'll just go browsepoets.org. For a while, I, the the tweeest thing I do as Rebecca knows is every now and again, I post a picture of my kids with a, a literary quotation next to them, and it's often a product of after I've been uh, cruising poets. I find something, I put it together with a picture with my oh. kids in cherry blossoms. So, if you, you too want to want to fake your way into to literateness like I do, you can use poets. as a cheat.
0: I had been meaning to ask you forever how those posts came about. I mm-hmm. thought it was probably more of a like commonplace book situation. It's a little it's, a little, it's a little of column A, okay. and column
1: B. I'm telling you one of my tricks here. I'm, I'm opening myself up, Rebecca. But yes, there is a commonplace books. Sometimes I'll just pull the Whitman off and like, what's what's cooking? What goes well. with um. My my son aims putting his hands in the pond and looking funny or something. Yeah.
0: like Yeah, I mean but, Walt's got a moment, for, got something for every moment, so you can't really go wrong there.
1: It's it, it's really true. So so those are my picks there. The second part of this question was I talked about uh, a, a book on skateboarding, um, and this person is uh, Marie's wondering if I can share the title. I will tell you the title and I will not recommend the book. The reason I didn't talk about it later <laughs> is I didn't particularly care for it. I'm not sure that that means anything it's called the book is called the most fun thing. Um, Oh, you know what? Now the author's name is escaping me, but you can find it from there. Um, I don't know if someone has a a great skateboarding memoir, I would like to try something else. Let's put it that way. So there you go. All right. You're up.
0: This next one is from Donna, who's also one of our Wheelhouse members. She says, I recently found and devoured the Alice Network and thought it was magnificent for the characters and the storytelling. Know of anything along the same lines? And on a completely different note, any good recommendations for a contemporary work that has a May-December romance? I see your parenthetical note here, and I'm <laughs> mad at you, so why don't you take off? Well, listen,
1: <laughs> it's not the show if we don't RSTL and it, um, right? Right. And this one actually is, is relevant. So Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, um, the main character, the great Reverend Ames, who is sort of my son's namesake, um, he mm-hmm. gets married as an older fella to a younger woman. Um, and that book is set up as the, a series of letters, diary entries, what you have of him writing to his son. And then a subsequent book in, do we have a name for this? The Gilead Tetralogy? Is that what it is? It's four
0: books at this point?
1: um sure
0: the gillivers
1: yes the gillivers it's a <laughs> um maryland maryland oh, uh, there it is <laughs> where the th- i think it's the third book in the series is from the reverend ames younger wife glory's perspective um and it's those two mm-hmm. together and you've heard us talk about it i assume at this point the whole thing but those two together are about the re- their relationship from different sides um so that's my may december romance pick on the other tip, this came up in a sales call of being like a big hit, and I had forgotten about it of late. Um, but I think it might scratch the itch. It's called The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner. And what's funny is when I looked it up, I was like, remind me about this. Uh Kate Quinn was one of the big is the biggest blurb on the back who wrote that. Oh, no. right. So I was like, Okay, I think I'm in here. Um, so it's a network, a secret network of women who like go get poison in eighteenth century London and do stuff basically. Um, So it's twisty and it's some interesting world building. I think that would be my pick. I haven't read this, but a lot of people really, really like this book of historical fiction with the twist. Very, very popular genre right now. And I think A Lost Apothecary has been one of the most popular books in that genre. So I feel fairly good recommending it kind of blind, honestly, at this point, but that's what I'm doing.
0: That one sounds great. Um, I had to do a little research for May-December romance, and I found myself in some corners of the internet. <laughs> you got to be
1: careful. I, be very careful.
0: Yeah. Romance searches about age differences can take you to all kinds of places, and I don't recommend that Google if no. you're not ready for something a little spicy. Um, so I went and actually just asked our contributors because they know better. Right. Um, and they recommended Let their search pretty-
1: history take the toll. Yeah.
0: Yes exactly. Uh, My Google is weird enough it doesn't need any help. So they have recommended for May-December romances that I believe in both cases, the older of the partners is a woman, uh, is Pretty Face by Lucy Parker and A Taste of Her Own uh, Medicine by Tasha Harrison. So you can take a look at both of those. They come highly recommended from BR folks, a couple of whom are bibliologists for our TBR service. And so these are books that they might actually pick for a customer who asked for a May-December romance. I had to familiarize myself a little bit with the Alice network and I latched on more to like sort of a feminist angle Mm. on historical fiction and strong characters. And it's not a direct mapping, but I think the vibe of great circle by Maggie Shipstead might work for you here Um, about a girl in the early 20th century who wants to be a pilot. And that's just not a thing that's very available to girls and women at that time. Her family has an interesting history where she and her brother end up, orphaned and living in I think it's Idaho with an uncle and she like befriends a bootlegger who has access to planes and is basically like if you'll marry me I will get you flying lessons and that's a kind of devil's bargain in a lot of ways but the the story also stretches up in through kind of the rest of her life and then back into some elements of their family history it's so smart a, a very contemporary feeling story about what it is to be a woman in a world that's not quite ready for you yet she also explores her sexuality in ways that are not uh, acceptable at the time that she's living in and I thought it was just just a great big wonderful novel that you could sink into one of the best things that I read I believe that one came out in 2020 mm-hmm. um, but one of the best things that I read uh, that year so that's Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead
1: yeah. you see Shipstead's got a new collection of short stories coming out this fall?
0: Yes. I got that? the galley, man. I'm ready.
1: Oh, you're all ready to go. Uh, let's see. I'm now looking for my link here. Hold on. Uh, my next book, I needed the link to, to give us a little more. Mm. Here we go. Okay. So I, next one is for me to read. Um, one of my best friends is graduating with her master's degree in biotechnical engineering this spring. She's been w- working her butt off for years to get to this point, and I want to get her something that is joyful and a celebration of triumph. It doesn't have to involve engineering or science, but it can. She hasn't had time to read outside of her classes for a while, but she loves listening to K-pop, watching K-dramas, and playing D&D in her limited free time. Thanks so much, name redacted, Rebecca. You had a great idea that was a cop-out, which makes it even a better <laughs> idea. I'm not sure here. There's something I, I like it, what you did. I, I see it. and like what you did.
0: I'm going to own up. It was a cop-out because I was like... I was completely blanking on books that would fit this. As you were reading it just now, I thought of, oh, Chemistry by Wakey Wang, Ah, which I think is a really lovely book. It's about a young woman who's in a PhD program for chemistry. She's mainly there because that's what her parents have expected her to do. And she's also got this boyfriend that she's probably going to get engaged to. And also, that's just mainly because it was the next step that people expected her to take. And she's interrogating all of that. It's kind of a quarter-life crisis book that is less about the science and more about her understanding of herself and what is it that she likes about science at all. Um, But I think that might be A way to to make a connection here my cop-out idea that is still a great idea is to take her on a bookstore date Mm. and if you've got an indie bookstore near you that maybe is doing appointments that way you could have her like have a private hour in a bookstore i know some stores are still doing that as we're navigating the current phase of covid i think that's a great solution like i love you i want to celebrate this with you maybe you could call the store ahead of time and if they would let you like bring a, a bottle of champagne and she could ship sip her like flute of champagne while she shops for books I think now I'm planning a date for myself so if somebody wants to like let like Jeff you want to like let Bob in on that this sounds like a nice no Um, big
1: the big the big guy up tell him get some give some (laughs) hints because that's what you want to tell people is how to date their wives that that goes great as we learned from when Harry (laughs) met Sally
0: yeah Um, but I was thinking if I had a big moment and my friends were trying to solve a bookie kind of question for me. I also think that they might be stuck on what kind of specific book. It can be hard to pick out books for people, which is, you know, maybe why you wrote us a letter and I'm copping out on it. <laughs> um, but uh, hey, like here's uh, here we are in the bookstore, pick five books or here's, uh, you know, I want to buy you, uh, you know, 100 bucks worth of books or whatever it is that works for you. Um, I think that would feel really special and fun.
1: I copped out in a different way, which is that I remember because I didn't know what... I knew what a K-drama was, but I didn't know like what were the salient features of a K-drama. So when it, a post appeared on this little website called bookriot.com <laughs> called Books for K-drama Fans, I took note. And so when I saw it, I was like, I'm just going to Google what we have and see if there's anything there. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Also, if you Google Books for K-drama Fans, comma, Book Riot, you'll get there too. Funny how search works. Um, but the one on here that, you know, if I had to pick one for you... It's called Wicked Fox by Kate Cho. So it sounds to me like the salient features that people like about K-drama would be, A, it's it's set in Korea. I guess that's part of it. But you've got some romance, impossible, impossible obstacles, little melodrama. And then I'm trying to connect the D&D piece here. And this is like an urban fantasy where the young woman of this romance turns into a nine-tailed fox sometimes. It happens. I don't know what to do. Uh, you got eight extra tails. You turn into a fox. Things happen. It's a hard life out there. But if you find the right fella or the right lady to share your life with, in this case, it's a human boy who's being hounded by a goblin. You gotta hate it when that happens. They team up. Fall in love. Stuff happens there. I really wanted to find some sort of like fantasy novel, YA book that features D&D prominently. Mm. And I could not, for the life of me, find something. It feels like there's how something... they there not like... Ha, there must be. I was thinking... Our old friend Eric Smith probably knows if there's something like yes. this. Who used to write for Book Riot, who's now a YA author himself and an agent. And this is exactly the kind of space he lived in. I looked at... So we've had a Book Riot list of books for Stranger Things fans. I didn't really see anything there. So if someone's looking for a book pitch, like how can you... How how can you parlay a D and D session? Maybe it now just feels up maybe it just feels like a ripoff of Stranger Things now to have D and D feature oh, so prominently. Maybe. But I, I was really I felt like there should be something out there. So I I was damn stumped. So I I I, I pulled the supernatural element out of D, plugged it into one of these K drama um, selections, pop, Wicked Fox by Kate Cho. Looks like it might Nicely fit the best done. for you. Yep, there you go. It
0: maybe does you can find it like there at the bookstore like- tour. Like some sort of YA rom-com where the meet-cute is like at the local gaming night for D&D. Yeah, I feel like there's something something there
1: and I don't know how you would do it um, necessarily. But anyway, we did our best.
0: All right, this next one. Uh, one of my best friends is graduating with her master's. Oh, no, that was the no, question that's we just read. We just there it is. <laughs> Welcome to It's Here Thursday, but it's Friday in my soul. Here we go. Next one. Uh, persons looking for Mother's Day Rex. Mom likes commercial or historical or literary fiction with these guidelines. Not very structurally experimental or challenging. Doesn't leave the reader depressed about the state of the world, though tearjerkers are okay. And that's a useful distinction, so thank it you for that. very much um, is. No horror or gore or even creepiness. And books that mom has recently enjoyed include The Hundred Days of Lenny and Margot, Major Pettigrew's Last Stand, Where'd You Go Bernadette, Love and Saffron, The Reading List, Year of Wonders, and Violetta. We got a, this is like a real best of the best parade that's happening in our selections here. <laughs>
1: I, you have one of our standard picks for books like this. Um, I have mm-hmm. another two of the others. I guess I'll start. So we talked recently about the enduring appeal in the in to the tune of millions of copies for the storied life of A, G, a. J. Fickery by Gabriel Zevin, um, which apparently is going to be turned is being turned into a series. So maybe you can get it under the wire, and, and then your mom can be super excited. I love that book because your mom's going to love this book. It's mm-hmm. uh, a love story, bookstore, small town. You know, go crazy. That's it and then this is almost you have to say it just to make sure it's been said <laughs> the guernsey literary and potato peel pie society mm-hmm. another bookish related one it's set in the hebrides during world war ii the hebrides being a basically a ring of, of little tiny islands that uh, in the english channel the nazis come a calling. they've got to find a way to connect to each other the, uh, this little community t- to resist and to support And they they meet under the cover they meet the resistance meets under the cover of having a literary basically a book club and to eat potato peel pie because it's rationing the tastiest thing they can think of is just the peels from potatoes is there's a really charming warm Netflix series so you can go watch that as well and then this is the first of several pachinko question marks that's going to dot (laughs) our answers for the rest of this because it's Mm -hmm. historical fiction. It's a tearjerker. Does it leave you depressed about the state of the world? I ultimately don't think so. It's not as feel-good of these other things, but it is very, very engrossing. So that's Pachinko question mark by Min Jin Lee, which we've talked about.
0: I think that question mark is exactly right. It won't leave you depressed about the state of the world it, like there's a payoff it's worth reading but it's not an uplifting yeah. experience um yeah. my standard here that we got to trot out is 2 a.m at the cat's pajamas <laughs> by marie helene bertino <laughs> maybe someday someone will ask for a charming funny book and we'll have something else but this one is the one of the best ones <sighs> for is. my money it's on christmas eve in a what small town it's from the perspective of a young girl who i think she's about to turn 10 something like mm, that 10 or 11 and yeah. The Cats, 10 or 11, yeah, the Cats Pajamas is the local jazz club. And her dream, this young girl, is like get on stage and sing at the Cats Pajamas. And you're just with her in her life with her father. Her mom is no longer around. And these people who populate the jazz club and populate their local community have a lot of affection for her. It's just wonderful. It's like just charming as all get out it's such a a wonderful fun read it's pretty quick it's pretty small book i am deeply shocked that we have not seen an adaptation of this yet this seems kind of ripe
1: (sighs) i've got a theory for you can we sidebar about this for a second i think that's a wonderful is
0: matilda lawler
1: (laughs) that's it i think that's the problem is what is what genre is this it's not ya it's Mm, not middle grade that's true I mean there's how many it's a book for adults how many how many movies for adults starring a 10-year-old's are 10-year-old is there I can't think That's of true. one So it's it it would betwixt have a betwixt in Between you'd,
0: ha- you'd have to like Gilmore Girls it where it became about the town yeah. more than just the little girl You'd have to um, that, But it, that, it has a kind absolutely. of Stars Hollowy feeling mm-hmm. Yeah Um, I'd also like to toss out on the big historical literary fiction tip, City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, set in 1920s, 1930s in New York, a girl who gets kicked out of her college for some sort of impropriety. And so her parents send her to live with her really unconventional aunt who runs this quirky theater in New York City because her parents are very naive and haven't Mm. thought about what's going to happen to a girl who's already a little (laughs) ready to take some risks when you send her into the city to live with her aunt like that. And it turns out great for them. She has all kinds of experiences and that's what the book is about. And it's really fun. Um, And then on a a relatively new release, it's a great pick. I love this idea. Thanks. Um, Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. Not quite historical fiction, but it weaves between present day um, when the matriarch of a family has died and her two children, her adult children, are trying to put together the story of her life because she's kind of been a mystery to them in a lot of ways. Um, Her lawyer comes to the kids and is like, your mother left us this tape. And she wants me to play it for you. And it is their mother sort of con- confessing to them, telling them the truth of her life. Then we bounce back and forth to chapters that show us what her childhood on a Caribbean island was like, why she left, what the secrets are, why she kept them, and the impact of those over time. Um, this was, I think it was a pick for um, Jenna Bush Hager's book club mm. on, I think that's the Today Show. Uh, it's being adapted for a Hulu series. I think this one's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Also, multi-generational casting will be really cool. Um, I hadn't read anything that was quite like it. I thought it had a little flavor of like some, there are some little debut novel kinds of things. Yep, I agree. Um, I was like, oh, okay, right. But I will read whatever Charmaine Wilkerson does next. I think it was a really interesting, just really interesting story and resonates with it, uh, kind of the complexities that it seems like your mom is looking for in fiction.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good pick. Um, one of my favorite debuts I've read so far this year, though I've got a, mm-hmm. a hot pick for you coming up in another show. When I get the front list for you. I meant to text you about it earlier, but we can talk about it off, Ooh, okay. Uh, okay. off air. Okay, I'm up next looking for a recommendation for me to fill the Outlander sized hole in my reading life. Last year, I devoured the entire series, all the big books, all the Lord John books, all the in betweens related short stories. I don't know what any of that means. I know what Outlander is. I haven't read a stitch of Outlander to be honest with you. Uh, that's me, not this person. I'm looking for another big multi book series that follows the characters over the same set of characters over multiple books. Bonus points. If it has an excellent audio version, was written by a woman open to any genre except horror. I am not looking for a book series where the main characters change with each book. Uh, like a uh, Bridgerton. Um, I've already read mm-hmm. Harry Potter and I'm not interested in reading game of Thrones. I'm not interested in mystery thrillers with series where the main character stays the same, but each story stands on its own. Like, you know, Hercule Perot, Marple, Louise Penny books. It's okay if the series isn't complete. Thanks from Sarah. You're up, Rebecca.
0: All right. I gotta tell you, Sarah, my mom is in this camp with you of mm. nothing will fill the outlander-sized hole. And she has also been on this journey, and her answer has been reread Outlander.
1: <laughs> and Run it back!
0: <laughs> like Right, she's running it back multiple times there's enough of them by the time you finish the series you can start back at the first one you've probably forgotten some stuff um, I didn't want to just leave you there that I think that would have been a total cop out I I had to poll our contributors on this because this like these particulars of your request are not at all uh, in my reading wheelhouse and I got a few recommendations for the Chronicles of St. Mary's uh, series by Jody Taylor so you might take a look at that um, and also the Pole Dark series by Winston Graham are uh, are just set in the same place with the same main character. His name is Ross Poldark. Um, I know several people who just marathoned their way through the Poldark books. And then there's a PBS adaptation early in COVID. This was like the thing that they did for comfort reading, I think in many, in a, in a similar way to how many people read Outlander. So that might just, it, it might have the same sort of hang that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are my attempts to, do something more than like, maybe you just want to reread Outlander forever. But I think Outlander is one of those, that like, it's a very, it seems to be a very singular reading experience for folks who love it. And much like what's a book like The Night Circus, it's just Mm. really hard to find a good uh, read-alike.
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't have picked my pick unless you had given me the I Like Harry Potter um, situation. Mm. I'm going more fantasy and my, my entry on the Google Doc is Wheel of Time period. I don't usually put periods, but this this is the answer for me. There's thirteen <laughs> books plus some other stuff around it, and the characters, the main characters, are the main characters throughout the book. They're not all in every book, but it proceeds. The story builds and builds and builds. I read book one for an adaptation nation I did with Jen Northington over on SFF Yeah, um, and I'm not going to read any more because it's way too much. But I I thought it was good. I think it's what you're looking for. It's, it's big, um, Tolkien vibes. Like that Tolkien is what Robert Jordan was kind of trying to write, except more like what of Tolkien, but more, more of everything. And it's the kind of book, it has very, very, very hardcore fans and they like to dive and swim around in it. There's all kinds of fan stuff. There's message boards and you know, it has a romance at the center but it's not about that necessarily. Only you get all of the other things. So if you like Harry Potter and you like Tolkien, and you want to spend a lot of time, a lot of time, in the world, I think Wheel of Time would do it. I probably will do the rest someday. But I'd like need to be retire or in traction or something. Like it's just I'd really need a big bunk, bunch of time um, to read the Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. That's my pick for you. Um, the first book is nine hundred pages or so. just just to give you some sense (laughs) on
0: that sabbatical you'll never take the rest of them
1: that's right uh was that me you're up you're up up. O'Neill I'm up to read didn't you give your answer first
0: oh no you're right it's sorry here we it is
1: Thursday Friday
0: (laughs) it is uh let's see Somebody looking for requests for themselves. I love this. They're looking for read-alikes or culture-alikes, which I really resonated with, for No One Tells You This by Glynnis McNichol. This is a book I loved, so I'm ready. This is Uh, one of my
1: favorite requests we've ever gotten, just to interject. Yes. I love this. This is great.
0: Any genre that I actively try to read diversely, like Glennis, I never wanted to be an older single woman, but my choices accidentally led me here. It's just a fact of my life now. Sometimes it's amazing, and sometimes it's just hard. There are two things in the book that she grapples with that I want to explore further. Not having a default support person as you're going through difficult things yourself, mm. and being expected to help with the overflow from other people's lives because she's not entangled with anyone. Mm. She says, Anne Helen Peterson's work has been helpful, but I'm seeking something with a bit more of a personal touch. I've read Spinster, Making a Life of One's Own by Kate Bollock, which was fun but didn't quite scratch the itch something that came surprisingly close was ashley ford's somebody's daughter thanks for that recommendation good job us jeff good job and watching ashley have a different relationship with her father than she expected what do you have here
1: i'm not super happy with my picks i'm gonna say that right now i felt like there was something out there I, i feel like i'm missing something that i've read that i listened to that i know about I'm just being honest with you at this point, um, Cheryl. But the, what I did, re, what I did think of, was not a single book by an author, but an author, Vivian Gornick, mm-hmm. who is a longtime critic, culture writer, New Yorker. I'd say somewhere on the Joan Didion to Fran Lebowitz spectrum. In in that kind of mode, her first book. <laughs> I is, would
0: love a chart of that spectrum. I, I
1: think she she's been more productive and more rigorous than than Lebowitz, but more of a New Yorker than than Didion, who's a Californian, mm-hmm. you know, culturally and and artistically. Two books, especially the first one, the one that really made a name for herself at one time, the New York times, I think did a listing of like the best memoirs ever. And the fierce attachments by Vivian Gormick came out as number one. And it's her memoir of her relationship with her mother as, and also the fierce attachment that she's trying to be fiercely attached and fiercely independent. It's mostly about her relationship with her mother, but it's also just about being independent. So that struck me as well. The second book is called the odd woman in the City. And it's her out in New York as a single older person who is an avowed New Yorker an avowed single person it's it's very smart, it's very literate, verging on academic but i I kind of wish I was Vivian Gornick kinda like I wish it was Delia Efron. I kind of want want <laughs> I've always kind of wanted to be one of these really intellectual New york um literary women that I've always respected so much, and Vivian Gornick is way 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 up there on my list. Unfortunately, neither of them, to my memory, it's been a long time since I've read these, I should say. Speak directly to your sub-bullets. I apologize for that. I wish I had something better. It also did remind me of Joan is Okay by Weki Wang, which I talked about recently. The main mm-hmm. character is a upper 30s, and that's not, you can be older single than that. I'm not sure that's exactly what we're talking about here, but she's independent and is being kind of trying to, try, is, is, people are trying to drag her towards heteronormativity and bourgeois things in her life and upper middle class and upper class things. And she's resistant to it. And how that plays out, I think is really interesting. And it might scratch some of these. It's just to, if someone has a better um, suggestion, I think Rebecca's are probably better than mine, though. I'll say none, none of them feel like a bull. None of yours feel like a bullseye to me either. That's not, they're better than mine, but they're still not a bullseye. So I'll transition
0: over to you. If there is a bullseye, I would love to love know to it. know. Um, I would love to know. It. This is, I think, this is a life experience that is horribly underrepresented in all Absolutely. forms of media for all of the patriarchal reasons <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that we could list. Um, I really, really loved. No one tells you this. I think a soul sister to that book is Jamie Attenberg's memoir. I came all this way to meet you. Um, she wasn't ever. Trying uh, like as you to be an older single person, but she wasn't ever trying either to find a partner, get married, have kids. Um, took her a long time to sort of find herself artistically and build a life that felt like it had a rich community around it, and where being single was not like an oddball choice, but was something that was just a, a fact of her life, and that she loves and can celebrate, and feels supported and seen and recognized by the people around her. There's that's a strong element of the memoir. Um, another one, I mean, I've read and thought about these a lot. Like I'm a I'm a married person. I don't have kids on purpose. Um, my friendships are really central to my life. And there's a book that I read several years ago that I think just might just might like kind of do some of the things your soul needs when you're reading Glennis McNichol and Jamie Attenberg. Mm. It's called My Glory Was I Had Such Friends by Amy Silverstein. Um, when she was a young adult, she had a heart transplant for you know, a life-saving reason, you know, because that's why you have heart transplants. And 26 years after the first one, she finds out that she needs another heart transplant. Mm. And in order to like get on the list for the procedure with all the constraints that are around her particular condition, she has to move across the country to California to do it. And that's... Uh... You know, hard in any situation, but really hard when you're in the kind of condition where you are going to need a heart transplant soon. She moves and she is surrounded by this group of nine women, nine friends who like the parlance in my group of girlfriends is there's a spreadsheet for it. You know, like they spreadsheet the hell out of who's going to be with her when who 's going to be with her mm. for different procedures? How are we going to make sure that she 's cared for before, during, and after this event? They put their own lives on hold in a, all kinds of ways um, to make it happen and like I am tearing up remembering this mm. book as i 'm talking about it it is it's so beautiful and so what such an ode to how rich and full your life can be when your life is unconventional that you don't have to have the trappings of the heteronormative, traditional, you know, get married, have two kids and a dog and a white picket fence to have a life that is fulfilling and makes you feel seen and supported. And I think the answer to what you do when there's not one go-to person that can take care of you when things are hard is you get a posse that makes a spreadsheet. And um, it's just the, I think maybe the best memoir I've read about what I think is the particular power of friendship between women. Um, It's really, really wonderful. Um, And just rich. She writes about the conversations that they have when, you know, they're alone in a dark hospital room late at night, sort of dark nights of the soul and how real things get. And, Mm. That's that's also the kind of stuff you just don't get that often. Um, and since you mentioned loving Ashley Ford's Somebody's Daughter, which you know we both loved, um, I really I loved The Ugly Cry by Daniel Henderson as well. Um, it's been a while since I read the, – the book came out last year. I think I read The Galley the year before that. It's also about um, sort of a, a very difficult childhood and un- – not unconventional – relationships with her family that are shaped by – trauma and abuse so warnings for that but she is so funny um henderson she's so funny back in early days of the internet she's the one who created the feminist ryan gosling tumblr and now she writes for a variety of tv shows and is just a fascinating person um but you know is in her 40s now is single she writes about that as well so i think some of what we're looking for when you're not doing the spouse two kids dog picket fence thing is just representations of other kinds of lives and getting to see a variety of those things and and daniel henderson rang that bell for me
1: yeah that this one we especially be interested in cultural likes to borrow our uh, yes. listeners yeah. um both 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 to yeah. pass along but also for ourselves selfishly
0: please write in these recommendations i want these books
1: yeah. all right it's me uh, uh to me to read, I'm an early, I'm not, this is me reading someone else's, I'm not an early 30 something who enjoys reading both adult and YA books, but this person is. And this person's favorites are coming of age stories, especially ones that include a bit of mystery or suspense. Some examples are Ordinary Grace, This Tender Land by William Kent Kruger, Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker. And then I, I was like, I've got an idea. And then here it is, The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. Whoops, I'm out. Uh, that was my big pick. The Secret Lights of Bees by Sue Monk Kidd and The Girl Who Fell from the Sky by Heidi Duro. Boy, that was a paperback favorite for, well, I haven't heard that name in a long it time, was. The Girl Who Fell from the Sky. Really, really popular and, and fun book back in the day. Um, do you have any recommendations for other coming-of-age novels that don't shy away from darker themes and have an intriguing plot? Thanks for your help. Love the show, Kathy.
0: I had a hard time with this Tough. one, um, and I want—I wanted to cop out, so I'm going to half cop out with like *Sag Harbor* by Colson Whitehead is also a great. I don't think novel that's why, about, is it, why is that like, a cop. A why is person. that a cop out?
1: Because well, they mentioned she Whitehead. Already
0: mentioned oh. Colson Whitehead, but if you haven't read Sag Harbor, it's great. It's not fully like coming of age because we just spend one summer with mm-hmm. the character. But I just revisited it last summer. It's wonderful. If you have not read it, Colson Whitehead talking about what it's like to be a teenager in the '80s in the predominantly like black corner. Is it of Martha's Vineyard? Uh, um, Long, I
1: think it's Long Island. Or, no, I think the, the Hamptons. Yeah, they,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, really wonderful. Maybe Crooked Hallelujah by Kelly Joe Ford came out a couple of years ago. Um, it, it is set, I believe it's Oklahoma, if my memory serves me correctly, about characters who are Native American. Um, a teenage girl is at the center of the story and deals with, I wouldn't say... Um, there's not mystery or suspense that was a hard bell for me to ring but deals with some of the like tricky issues of growing up but also is kind of darkly funny at moments one of the big award-winning books of the year and then I don't know, the vibe, maybe it was the mention of the girl who fell from the sky, Mm. because I believe Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones came out around the same time. Maybe there's, Mm. it just reminded me of it. Um, But it's about a family in Atlanta in the 80s, in which the main character, who's a teenage girl, finds out that her father has another family. And... Yeah, and that's a different kind of mystery in suspense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, great coming of age exploration there that kind of does some of those, some of the vibes I think you're looking for. This was a, a, a really fun, challenging question.
1: I hadn't thought about coming of age novels in a long time. And I've got a self-serving hot take, as all my hot takes really oh. are. <laughs> I think coming of age has now moved older. I don't, th- I mean, I think what we're talking about here is like teenage. I think there's a coming of age period that's in your twenties. That is what I think about as coming to age. Like what do we, what do we actually talk? You're mm-hmm. figuring out your place in the world, who you are, what you care about, what you want to do. This is called your twenties now. And this is a cop out because both of my recommendations are for older characters. Cause that's all I could think of. But I think I think, it's, what you're doing I think <laughs> it could still work. Right. So the one, I mean, this book continues to sell. Both of these are in hardcover still. The Lincoln Highway um, by Mortals. It, It starts out where a couple, a kid is getting out of juvie, essentially, he's 18, and gets mixed up on a road trip, and the book happens over a few days, but it has this sort of one thing happening after another quality that some coming-of-age books, kind of like Perks of Being a Wallflower, right, where you're going to kind of get swept along with events, Um, and it's really good, and it's a little bit older, and it's set in, you know, set in the Late 50s, early 60s, somewhere around there. But it turns out good things are good. And the Lincoln Highway is is popular and good. And then I recommended recently The Cartographers by Pink Shepard. And this is a character who's in her 20s. She's an an early professional. She's in her early 20s. She's starting a life as a cartographer, someone who cares about maps in an archival way. She comes from a family of map people cartograph to cartographer family but it's ultimately a mystery about what the hell happened to her mom and why is her dad being such a dick and everything kind of unspools from that so i feel like if you're still dealing well we're all doing this to some degree if you're still feeling out your relationship with your parents you're still kind of coming of age and it's really the mystery part is really good it has a little bit of a suspense element too um a little fantastical element i don't want to give too much away but i think they will scratch the same itch even if they're not like you know, 16 year olds in high school trying to come of age. It's a different kind of the next step. As we're all always coming of age, this is the one rung right above kind of the I'm I'm in high school mode. Those are my
0: picks. That's such a great point. I feel like since YA has become so robust that yeah. like adult literary fiction doesn't tackle coming of age, like before you're technically an adult nearly as much.
1: It's really mm-hmm. interesting. I remember Recommendation mm-hmm. Crest we got one time for quarter-life crisis books, and, and you knocked it out of the parks. And I had no. that in my mind of like 20, really 18 to 25 is another kind of era of coming to age, uh, mm-hmm. coming of age anymore, as, as adolescents can, adulthood comes earlier, but adolescence seems to linger longer somehow these days, which is kind of an
0: interesting Yeah, moment. that's... I do remember when I think I talked about the Jamie Attenberg memoir on one of the draft shows. And I pitched that as coming of middle age yes. <laughs> and the Glynis McNichol book is maybe also that way. And I feel like we're getting more of those now as well. There's there's space for that in the market. That's a really, it's a really fascinating shift. Um, this next one is going to be a you show because I had nothing and thought that you might have something. So <laughs> I got a couple uh, of <laughs> things. You like, I think you like to read about like fiction about particular locations. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit more than, than I do. And I, it just felt like a Jeff vibe. Okay. Uh, so this person, their family is doing a big family trip to Greece and to get mom excited. They wanted to see if we had recommendations for novels or series that are set in Greece. Mom's into Louise Penny and loves it in those books. The setting of Quebec is a supporting character. So anything with that kind of a vibe would work. And I, I think you're onto something here.
1: I don't have series for you. I'll say that. Right. Right. I had two things that came to mind and I was like, do it. Can I actually provide um, a series? I looked up mysteries set in Greece, apparently a series set in Greece. Apparently there's some. Frankly, they didn't look that great to me. Maybe I'm wrong. So I, I'm not going to shout them out. I got two individual volumes. The second one is the second part of a duology. The first one is called Greek to Me by Mary Norris. It is not a novel. It is a memoir. The great Mary, Nor- M- M- Mary Norris, who was a longtime copy editor for The New Yorker, who came graciously on to annotate it to talk to us about the Oxford comma, Yes. if you listen to that That's show. You- um, while I was doing the interview for that show, um, because she had her book that was coming out right then was called The Comma Queen, which is her memoir of being a copywriter, which is delightful. She told me at that point she was working on a memoir of learning Greek as an older person. And I said, when this book comes out, let me know. Like a year later, she emailed. It's like, you told me to email you this. It's like, this is why you were edited at The New Yorker for 50 years because you remember to do stuff like this. And I read it and I really liked it. Um, it's a memoir of her love affair with Greece and trying to learn Greek. And she's a wonderful New Yorker style writer. Great stuff. Um, the second one is The Moonflower Murders by Anthony Horowitz, which is the second book in his duology. I think the duology is called The Magpie Murders, and that's the name of the first volume. The first volume is not set in Greece, but the second one is. They are literate mysteries. I don't read a lot of... I guess these are techni- these are kind of category mysteries, but I thought they were really... Mm-hmm. I, I think they're really wonderful. Um, and he is also the... the um, authorized writer of the modern James Bond novels. So that to give you kind of sense of what we're in, but literate, urbane, witty, complicated, tricky, uh, and satisfying. And the second book, I don't think you need to have read. I, I, can't, I can't really remember. This is how mysteries work. Like, oh, I really like that. Say one more sentence about it. I'm like, ugh. Um, but this one <laughs> is set in Greece. And I, I remember distinctly a very, very Greek vibe. It felt like it was really in the place. So I wish I had a series for you. I could probably have given you some. You could Google them yourself, to be honest, but these I can recommend myself as being good reads and giving you that Aegean spirit I think you're looking for right now. Uh, I'm reading. Duh, 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 duh. I sent this in last time, but I didn't have my act together, so I was too late. All right, you're not too late. My mom asked me this every time I see her. I didn't have something. <laughs> this is you, so we're going back and forth here. My mom is obsessed with the Murderbot series by Martha Wells. I recommended them to her last year, and now she won't stop heckling me for a comp. No good wreck goes unpunished. <laughs> she has also read and loved The Martian, and that's the only thing to come close. I've tried to no avail to find anything she likes as much as Zen Becky Chambers, and Lecky. Nothing is as good as Murderbot. Please help. She's very sensitive to harm to children and animals, and I don't want to wreck anything too sexy, but the swearing is fine. Please help me get my mom off my All back. Right. Colin listener name
0: redacted. I just want to say congratulations on having a cool mom. Yeah. And I checked with our contributors cuz this is also outside my wheelhouse and they were like obviously the thing you give this person is Becky Chambers's yep. A Psalm for the Wild-Built. So you listener are also like it's confirmed you're on track. You're on the right. The you should have been... this should
1: have worked. I don't know why it didn't work.
0: Recommending mom. Yeah, that's that's tough. Maybe Murderbot mom can get together with the Outlander listener and mm. like maybe you could trade these books that you really love and, and find something. I did new. think about Murderbot
1: know. the Murderbot series for the Outlander, but I think the characters turn over too much. Like the central mm. Murderbot is around, but I think the oh that's right. It's not as much of ensemble as it sounds like. So the,
0: the other suggestion from a contributor was the. Audio Automatic Detective by A. Lee Martinez. And I'm just going to read you the jacket copy because this sounds like it has that fun tone Mm. of Murderbot and of the Martian. So even in Empire City, a town where weird science is the hope for tomorrow, it's hard for a robot to make his way. It's even harder for a robot named Mac Megaton, a hulking machine designed to bring mankind to its knees. But Mac's not interested in world domination. He's just trying to get by, trying to demonstrate that he isn't just an automated smashing machine and to earn his citizenship in the process. It shouldn't be, or it should be as easy as crushing a tank for Mac, but some bots just can't catch a break. And then Mac's neighbors get kidnapped and chaos ensues. Shenanigans happen. Uh, So from the perspective of the robot, this sounds like it might have some of that, like Mark Watney, fun voice to be with. Perspective, Um, good luck. This is a tough one.
1: I wonder if like um, Sleeping Giants by sylvan nouvelle that series might oh, be good. And then really? I just talked about mm-hmm. the Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi. They're both kind of light-hearted sci-fi. Which the Murderbot series, even though it's called Murderbot, sort of is. I've only read the first one, so I only have a sense of it. But we're 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 trying to give you some other ideas. i Wish we could have done better there um we're going to do one one and one we each you're up next we we went through a series where only one of us had ideas so we're going to do that for a little bit i think (laughs) the next one is my idea so ergo your read
0: Yep. Hello and good day. Looking for a recommendation for mom. She enjoys fictional accounts of women during World War II. There are plenty of books about women in France and England, but what about women in neutral Portugal? This is an interest of hers because she knows people who escaped Europe via Portugal. Also of interest are stories of how women in Germany worked to foil the Nazis. Please don't use my name. Mom is an avid listener. So hi there. You might be hearing about your Mother's Day gift.
1: It's weird that your name would give this away, but your specific request for books set in <laughs> World War II Portugal is like that could be anybody <laughs> could be. I think this is a great question. I never thought about this I do. Um, Portugal for, for listeners that may not have remembered, was technically neutral in World War II mm-hmm. the um, British I don't know if it's a British. Pact or something, and then Hitler was like, "You you guys are fascists already. You're fine because that's what was Salazar was, the fascist dictator from 1933 to 1974." But it meant that a lot of people who were trying to escape the war were flowing through Portugal. I was doing a little reading when I was trying to figure out something here that like up to two million people might have escaped Europe through Portugal. The most famous representation oh, of wow. this phenomenon is not actually set in Portugal. It's set in a little town called Casablanca. Ever heard of it? Um, all the, char- the characters in Casablanca <laughs> are trying to get a plane to Portugal so they can get out through Portugal. I didn't find anything. I, I only found one book that's actually set in Lisbon, in Portugal during World War II that has something to do with the war and it's not written by a woman nor is about women. but it's what I got. It's called A Small Death in Lisbon by, Rick, by Robert Wilson. I haven't read it. And the real reason I just didn't punt is... I remembered that in the Europe Guide, sometimes my boy Rick Steves will give recommended reading, like if you want a novel set in this place <laughs> or nonfiction. So I looked up on my um, best of your... I, I have a of a Portugal book on my shelf, and this was listed as one of the books if, to, if you're interested in doing some pre-reading or reading there. It's also kind of a good hint for you travelers out there, especially if you're going to Europe, because, of course, it's Rick Steves Europe. If you want to read about a place you're going, you can... And I checked. This is also on the website now, too. So if you look for reading recommendations, Rick Steves Portugal, Rick Steves Lisbon, you can find for all for all the countries that he's covered there. So I think that's kind of a funny resource. But this actually sounded pretty good. <laughs> Small Death in Lisbon by Robert Wilson. Check it out if it if it sounds like something you might want to get for your mom. Go forward. But uh, I, I was I really came up um, snake eyes. Other than that, but I tried to give you something there. Okay.
0: I love that you remembered that Rick Steves does this. <laughs>
1: I am who I am. What can I tell you? (laughs) All right. I'll do the next read. We both got something for the next one. I am writing to request a recommendation for my daughter, Bree, who is graduating and heading to college to study plant science slash horticulture. We are an avid reader family, but she is always the hardest to buy for. After hearing Rebecca's glowing praise for braiding sweetgrass, I finally hit a home run. So now I need a follow-up. She's enjoyed reading nonfiction such as Wicked Plants by Amy Stewart, Historical, Freedom's Gardener. Um, John F. Brown, Horticulture in the Hudson Valley in Antebellum, America, and Rupi Kaur's poetry, The Sun and Her Flowers, hoping Rebecca has more nature plant goodies up her sleeve. Also, so Jeff doesn't feel slighted, I did get her The Orchard of Memoir, (laughs) but she hasn't had a chance to read it yet, but that busy senior year. Names are fine. Thanks for your help. Michelle Miller.
0: All right, I have nature plant goodies up my sleeve and literally on my sleeve. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Um, Let's see. Well, first, I feel compelled. If you have not given her some Mary Oliver, I feel like that should happen. There's plenty of it about plants, and it's all about the natural world. Um, Robin Wall Kimmerer, who wrote Raiding Sweetgrass, also has a wonderful book about moss that I will... uh, Moss is underappreciated in our culture. (laughs) And I, <laughs> that's a hot take, and I stand by it. Uh, I mean,
1: coming in just scorching with the fungus takes. I know it's not a moss.
0: I have exciting. I own multiple books about moss, <laughs> and that's the best one. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I want to mention Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake, which is about... Uh, is about fungus, is about mushrooms. And I feel bad that I got to this pick. Like I got to our document of notes before you did because it's just a straight gold
1: rush a, pick. It's fine. You got there it's first. A gold you rush did the pick. homework first. It's okay. It's okay.
0: And you get, but you get the credit because you read it first and recommended it to me. And we've talked about it on the show a bunch. Mm. Lab Girl by Hope Jaron. She's a botanist. It's a memoir of being a botanist and of the close, fascinating, difficult at times maybe strange relationship that she has with her research assistant slash like best friend. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh It's a fascinating coworker relationship going on. um, But wonderful writing about what it is to be a scientist and her relationship to doing that kind of work. And so I think um, for somebody who is heading to college and thinking about what that might be like, that might be interesting. But yeah, Jeff, you get the gold star. Thank you. For, you brought you brought Lab Girl into the wheelhouse.
1: Yes. So. Oh, I'm, Lab Girl for X is now like shorthand between us. It's it's mm-hmm. Lab Girls for uh, Lab Girl for any kind of um, any kind of endeavor really to speak of. I am were you done? Did you do all yours? I'm I'm I patiently am done, yes. waiting to talk about mine. I'm going back to the Glickwell. Um, oh, her yes. collection called The Wild Iris was a follow-up companion book to her earlier collection called The Garden, which was the garden being the Garden of Eden. But this one is The Wild Iris is a series of poems that are sort of back and forth between the plant in a particular gardener's garden and the plants themselves. I believe our famous to us Louise Glick close reading of Raising Tomatoes actually does come from the collection The Wild Iris, (laughs) um, which I will remember uh, with great fondness. Forever and ever, Amen. So, if you're looking for, you know, a memoir, or not a memorable keepsake kind of memento that you can pick up from time to time, um, the other pick I'm going to give you isn't really plant science, but it's environmentalism. This is uh, we're, we're this is a bigger this is a bigger ask. It's called The Invention of Nature: Alexander von Humboldt's New World. It's a biography of Alexander von Humboldt who was an explorer and one of the most famous scientists of the great age of exploration of the early 19th century, who went around the world and had this vision of the natural world that was less, you know, what can it do for man? And more that it was an, even the idea of an ecosystem comes out of Alexander von Humboldt's writings and travels. Kind of the Darwin, Darwin, but for all of nature is a way of thinking what Alexander Van Humboldt's Um, work was like your daughter may even know Alexander Vanderbilt Humboldt's name but his worldview has become so a part of like the environmentalist lefty way of understanding the environment that it's almost hard to remember that people didn't think this way Um, anyway so I think it's really good and it's he's very interdisciplinary for someone like me who's like an armchair reader of sciences, that it crosses multi. This is the age where we figured that there was no difference for a while between like geography and geology and plant ecology mm-hmm. and biology and anthropology. This was the time when there was separation and specialization. And in this moment, Van Humboldt was sort of the da Vinci of um, natural studies because it hadn't specialized so much. Right. Um, so it's a really fascinating case study in his life, in his life gives you connected to all, all these fundamental ideas um, of how even the idea of "quote unquote" nature becomes something we can use and people understand what we mean. So that's the invention of nature. Alexander von Humboldt's New World by Andrea Wolf. It's very long.
0: I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to read that one. I think so, you'll dig it.
1: I think you will. Relevant. You will dig it. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I guess right. it's my, lead, my read.
0: No, no, I, no, no. I no, went no first. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I've just been
1: talking forever. Um, You're up.
0: I'm just writing down the invention of nature. Yes, there you go. So that I can buy it when we're done here. Okay, so this next one. Uh, first, this person wrote in with great intel for us about oh, the fact yes. that shrink wrapping. <laughs> is much more common than we expected and they were surprised by our bewilderment. Uh, They explained that at the bookstore where they work, they shrink wrap anything that has removable parts or fragile covers like dust jackets with cutouts that can get torn and deluxe sticker books um, because they don't necessarily have to stay shrink wrapped, but it helps prevent the damage and that they shrink wrap books over 50 bucks, like anything with explicit photos and a new shrink wrap edition over the last year was explicit manga. Cause that's the thing you're doing in book selling mm-hmm. now. Um, one of the things that they like about this show is listening to us talk about business books and it's a realm of books that they've never touched, but they've been getting more serious about having a small bookish business of their own. So they were wondering about a starter pack of books for somebody starting a small business.
1: This is a great question and extremely hard. Um, If you had to pick one, I couldn't do it. So I picked three, Mm -hmm. and then Rebecca picked a couple that I could have easily could have picked. And I think you got to this doc first, so one or two of them I wouldn't have picked. The one I would start with, and this is maybe real boring, um, but it's called um, financial intelligence. And it is by Karen Berman. There's been several editions. I believe the most recent edition is t- from 2013. There might be a Financial Intelligence 2.0. Do your due diligence Googling, but find the most recent edition. This is how to read a profit and lot statement. What's the difference between revenue and profit and how to take into account cash flow and a balance sheet. If you're going to run a small business or a business of any kind, you've got to understand what the financial flow of your business looks like how do you know that you're doing well some companies can turn some companies can turn a profit and go bankrupt some companies can lose money and stay in business if you don't know how that's possible you need to read financial intelligence i didn't for a long time know this for a long time book riot lost money but stayed in business because it was cash flow positive and some companies especially if they're capital intensive will go out of business even if they're profitable on a quarterly basis if that sounds like greek to you you once were like me and you need to read Financial Intelligence. Rebecca, tell the people I'm right about this. Tell, tell, back you me are. up on I am this. Like, I,
0: I, I wholeheartedly second this emotion. Um, I had some experience with like Business financial balance sheets from nonprofit work that I had done, and financial intelligence sort of solidified all of those. And it's also been a tool that we've used not just in running the company, but the recommendation has trickled down. Yes. As you know, we put open book uh, management practices into place. We got folks in our company who want to learn more about what these financial terms mean, what the major documents are, how they work, how you understand the health of a business. It's a really it's great, and it's not inaccessible i think that's a a big thing to highlight is that these concepts can be hard at like books about economics and like the the money side of management can be super dry Mm -hmm. and just hard to get into or they talk to you way over your head if you're a person who's coming from a non-business background and i found financial intelligence to be like accessible direct like she understands the audience for the book and speaks very well to that reader
1: we require People who take on the title of a of a certain title rank to read the book and understand it and be conversant um, yeah, in right. financial basics. Another one that is people need to be conversant in it in our company because we use some of this the shorthand. It's not shorthand. Some of the terminologies and concepts um, from Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher and mm-hmm. William Ury. It's about negotiating, right? And it's talking about not how to like take advantage of people in sort of a Gordon Gecko you know the art of the deal Donald Trump way where you leave an uh, empty husk of a of a counterparty here this is how to negotiate responsibly for you and sustainably for your business partners some of the concepts we use are using an external principle what's your batna meaning your best alternative to no agreement find it fascinatingly 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 and durably and durably useful Rebecca, talk on my recommendation. I, these are ones that like these are these are pantheon books for just getting crap done, right?
0: These are. And as I think, I mean, we read Getting to Yes like so early. grant. So I think it was just you, me, and Clint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that as we've hired more folks and the like how the business part gets run, I don't think we've required it, but it's been recommended so frequently. We have recommended it so frequently right. and we use the vocabulary so frequently that it ends up being a, like, hey, if you want to speak this same language with us and understand why we talk so much about finding an external principle when we're making a decision. So we're We're not just going off our feelings or our collection of data. Getting to yes is what you need to read to understand how we are thinking about the decisions that we make and the negotiations that we undertake. And I think that it helps you also realize in a meaningful way and also not a manipulative one, that like almost everything you do in life and in work is a negotiation. And that trying to get what you want when it seems like what someone else wants is different or they want to go about it differently is not a battle, but a collaboration. And that could be transformative for work. It could be transformative for how you talk with your family members or your friends. I think that's one of the great unsung things about good books about like business is that they can give you skills that you can apply in all the other realms of your life. Um, But yeah, getting to yes is super essential. I was, I did get to these notes first and I tried to make picks. (laughs) Like I kind of knew what the Jeff picks Uh, were going to be and I wanted to leave the space for those and and have you talk and and then try to make picks that do some other things.
1: Yeah. And you know, and there's some simple things like there's kind of a, a tree of success, according to format. So to reach a mutual beneficial agreement, that's where something where both sides win, that's what you wanna negotiate. That's the ultimate goal of a getting to yes mindset. But like meeting in person produces a mutual beneficial um, agreement in MBA more often than a phone call. And a phone call does more often than a Zoom call. Or a Zoom call then more often than a phone call. And a phone call more often than an email. And so if you're thinking about why, when you're having tough time negotiating something, maybe jump up a format. If you're Mm -hmm. doing it over email, jump onto the phone. If you're doing it over a phone, jump onto Zoom. If you're on Zoom, jump into a physical space. We do this internally all the time. If we can detect some friction happening in a conversation of some kind, let's move it up a level of connection, just in format, and it matters. This is one of those things that it just absolutely works. And it's remarkable. It can feel like magic a little bit and some other kinds of things. Reading off the same piece of paper, sitting on the same side of the table. There's some very practical things that actually, actually work. So um I really can't recommend that. I read it, read it from time to time. I keep a physical copy on my mm-hmm. shelf. Most of my Busman's MBA I start on audiobook, and all the ones we're talking about here I have bought so that I can reference. And my last one, I don't think I've talked with you about this was early, early conscious mm-hmm. business. And so much of what's come what I've read subsequently. Reifies, recasts, reskins these central ideas. But this is how to do business with a soul. Mm-hmm. Um, how to do it where you care not just about making money, but you care about creating happiness for all of your stakeholders, all the people related to your company. How do you make them whole people? How do you treat them with dignity? How do you make your company sustainable? How can you continue doing what you're doing forever and enjoy it and feel rewarded by it and that you can work with those same people forever and ever and amen. They're not burning out. They're not feeling used. They don't become empty husks. They stay with you for a long time and your business continues to grow. And I don't know, I'm not really sure, Rebecca, if I learned too much from this. I think it's a kind of, I don't want to toot my own heart. I, I think I was thinking how would I do this anyway, that it could mm-hmm. be done. I didn't know because I was coming from academia. Business was completely foreign to me. And so it was so reassuring to see that other people were thinking about. This isn't just turning people into factories of things that you get to, to benefit from. The whole board should win if you do a business well. And so that's Conscious Business by Fred Kaufman, really good on audio. Um, as you're getting started out, that it is possible to do a business and do it well, and do it well that's not the hashtag capitalism is evil. Because that's, that's the kind of stuff I came with. And capitalism might be evil, but you can do things within the business and the organization in which you work um, and lead and create that is better than, you know, you you can have a house that's better than the neighborhood um, if you're in control of the business itself. All right. You had a couple um, others.
0: Yeah. I went for the, like, kind of what are some other skills that you would really benefit from having if you're running a business and presumably hiring people and dealing with people. Um, I'll re-up my suggestion for You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy. Yeah. But I think the the real, like, Core of the core here is Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Mm -hmm. Um, You need a shared language with your business partners and your staff about what the expectations are for how people engage and get their work done. And for us, Radical Candor was the book that solved that problem. And it was a problem that we needed to have solved. There was like, to be i radically candid with our listeners there was a moment in the company's life several years back where like je- I, we were just talking about it earlier this week like we were on one of our weekly phone calls with each other we were processing some stuff that we had handled with employees some like you know performance concerns the kinds of things you deal with as managers and we didn't feel great in the aftermath mm-hmm. about how we had handled it and it felt like there's got to be a better way to Address some to address a concern head on, like give a person space to try to improve something, have a plan in place for if that doesn't improve and then you can feel good about parting ways if you have to part ways. Hopefully you can get to a place where you don't have to part ways. And Radical Candor just sort of came into our lives at the right moment um, and, and did those things. Kim Scott's thesis here is that good management is about caring personally and challenging directly and that you can have a warm relationship where you should be invested in not just the work product, but the, the happiness, the like work emotional satisfaction of your employees and that You need to respect them and give them space where they feel respected and feel safe enough to be candid with you about what their experience of the work is, what's going well, what's not going well, um, what you could be doing better as their manager. Um, That's, I think, the, the mind shift that is the most meaningful to me that comes out of Radical Candor is that, like, in a weekly conversation that you have with a person that you manage, feedback is given, but it's not your list of feedback for that person. It's them talking to you about how their work is going and what you can be doing to support helping that happen. What kind of feedback they have for you about the thing you did that got in their way or the additional support that they need and that seeing you act upon that builds trust and makes it possible for you to then do the challenge directly part of when a thing needs to be addressed because we're all human you can say directly to the person like i mean i think jeff you're fine with me talking about this like jeff and i do this with each other all all the time um we will come out of a meeting or a decision that we had to make and one of us will call the other and be like this thing was really great but hey like And I'll be like, was I an asshole?
1: Was I an asshole (laughs) in that call? And sometimes the (laughs) answer is like, like, you know what? Kind of, you know, honestly.
0: Yeah, or like, and there is space in a management system like this for like, for one of us to call the other one after a discussion and be like, you didn't do that great, and you know that I'm calling to say this because we have the same goal of this all going well. And so here's what I observed. Here's what I think could go better the next time. It also bears with it. Here's this thing you did really great. That just that thing we did was just beautiful. Great job. Um, it builds in a lot of you know giving you know public praise and private feedback. And that private feedback piece I've seen get missed a lot in other types of businesses. Um, you know retail can be very tricky. I don't. If the bookish business that you're thinking about is retail, it can be hard to get people into private spaces, but giving like public feedback or public criticism is really not great for mm-hmm. having a person feel respected and Kim Scott reminds you of that a lot so the practices of the book I could give like a two-hour lecture on why this is a great book that revolutionized the way we think about how work gets done and how people talk to each other Um, that you can point out something that was a mistake you're not being mean to that person because you're helping them get better at their job and we're all here to do the thing of helping this business work helping the things that we make to be better Um, it's it's just really wonderful and we'll give we require every everyone to read it when they get hired (laughs) it's like welcome to book riot in your downtime during your training please complete radical candor because you're going to be using these practices your manager is going to be using them with you and more than anything having that shared language to go back to of like well this was a moment where x happened or this sounds like this thing from radical candor um has been really powerful i think other companies have that experience with other management books maybe radical candor doesn't ring your bells if it doesn't go find something that does that you can take as like this is how we do things here these are the rules of this house Um, and be clear with everybody about what the rules are sort of operating principles table stakes like you have a a certain way that it's acceptable for you and your partner to talk to each other for you and your friends to talk to each other having those be overt and explicit inside a business is really powerful Um, and then i was just also thinking that starting a business is really scary Mm. and it will be hard there will be hard moments there will be like what the hell have i done (laughs) moments Mm -hmm. um and one of the like i didn't take the risk of starting book riot but i got to be the first employee and the startup years had all kinds of ups and downs and one of the things that got me through it was being able to transform the scary stuff into exciting stuff and not jump out when stuff got hard and grit by angela duckworth is about that about resilience about getting through it um particularly for our work on the internet i think it's been useful like people get mad at us sometimes and we're able to talk to new employees who like maybe they have their first experience with a big like public version Mm. of folks get mad at you Mm -hmm. of like that sucks it's really hard And you're not going to die from this feeling. Um, Also, you're not going to get fired because someone got mad at you on the internet. We're here to back you up. And that builds resilience, like that every difficult moment is an opportunity to like not get tougher. It's not about a thick skin. It's about learning that you can do the hard thing. And then the next time you have to do the hard thing, it's a little bit less hard.
1: The only way to get good is to do something you're not good at. And not doing things you're not good at is hard. And that's kind of the... You know, grit over time has ha- had its detractors. Um, I think the detractors maybe have a point about some of it, but I think there's an essential piece of. It reminds me of like so good you can't they can't ignore you, or um, some of those ideas of like mm-hmm. to do something hard to get some, to do something important, valuable, and new, and get good at it is difficult. So what yeah. are you going to do when it's hard? Uh, God, something my yeah. Throat. Yeah, I'll, oh, pardon
0: me. I'll jump in here for you while you're call, while you're coughing. <laughs> that the um the criticism of grit is like it's not that simple. It's not just like you can get through a hard thing if you become more resilient, which of course it's not. Like there are structural, systemic reasons that some people have more difficulty finding right. success than others because patriarchy and white supremacy and all of those things. And Angela Duckworth doesn't explicitly address that. I also don't think she's ever made the argument of like, all you no, need to do is right. be tougher. <laughs> no, that's,
1: that's, that's not what um, she's saying at all. No.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a great book in your toolkit of you know, and I really think that's the way to think about business books is like a collection of tools. You get this tool from this book. You get this tool from this other book. You put them together and that's how you run your business. That's how you become an effective manager of things and having some language around this is hard. We're all going to like stick to it. And get through this hard thing and then you kind of build up a library of those stories it's fun now that like a third of our staff has been hired in the last year that we get to tell <laughs> some of our like right. old war stories to, to new staff, like stuff we've been through um that shaped the business but like this this challenging thing we're doing is not the first one it won't be the last one here's what we do when things are hard
1: yeah um the last one is um i have a pick so why don't you do the last reading oh yeah down here? okay
0: Yeah, this last one is a person looking for a Mother's Day recommendation. Uh, They're due with a little boy in June and are looking for books featuring interesting and ideally, but not necessarily, not too effed up relationships between mothers and sons. Uh, She says, I have a three-year-old daughter and as a young person, I read a lot of great books featuring mother-daughter relationships. Are books about mothers and sons less common or is it just a personal blind spot? Do you have any gems to share? Um, I had no gems to share. <laughs> I do think these are less common. They are. You get the like you get the mother-daughter books and you get the father-son books. Mother son books I, I think are harder to come by. And I think you've got one here, Jeff.
1: Yeah, this is from our heyday of blogging, Rebecca. I remember right. like a bunch of us were reading To The End of the Land by David Grossman, which is my pick here. Um, the paperback was twenty eleven, which meant would have meant the hardcover was twenty ten, which would have been right at the tail end of our independent book blogging, at the beginning of book riot. So it sticks out in my mind. It's also a really long book. I think it's 600-plus <laughs> pages. So it's not an easy trek, and trek is important here because the setup is um, the mother's name is Ora, and her son is sent back to the front line of a major offensive. He's serving in the Israeli army, and 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 she's so worried about him, and she's so worried about the knock on her door. You know what I'm talking about. While he, mm-hmm. The knock on the door, the telegram, the phone call that she sets out on a hike across Galilee thinking, well, if the messengers can't find her, then I can never hear the message if ever comes. And as she's hiking across the Middle East, she has flashbacks to her own memory. We get the pieces of her own story. We get pieces of the the, the conflict. Um, We meet a bunch of really good secondary characters, really fleshed out. There's an odyssey element to this, um, but trying to run away from the future And in doing so, think about the past, whereas the Odyssey is more about kind of returning to this place. This is a place about escaping futurity, escaping the inevitable, escaping the feared. Um, And and it's really beautiful and a great novel, um, a great road novel, a great trek novel, a great memory flashback novel. And at its core is a mother's concern um, for her son and her feelings of attachment and helplessness. And she strikes out to walk and walk and walk because she can't think of anything else to do, um, and it's very relatable. As I become a parent, it's like I would do, I would do whatever if that whatever thing helped. And she got to the mm-hmm. point: is I don't even know if it's going to help, but I'm going to do something. Let's do something, even if it's wrong. And it's it's a really wonderful, beautiful. I'm not going to say it's uplifting, but it is tender and moving. In its own well and a future patreon uh episode you're going to hear you're going to hear us struggling with how to describe books like this um mm-hmm. especially in the context of talking about pachinko do you like a book like this liking do you like schindler's list do you appreci- appreciate it feels too condescending i think Rebecca, after we talk this is a follow-up to a thing that's not released as- were you moved by it. I think that's where mm-hmm. I'm and I was moved by this. Mm-hmm. I'm moved by Schindler's List. I'm moved by Pachinko. And if you know what I if you know what you know then you know what it means to be moved by a book like this. It's not necessarily happy or entertaining or feel good, but it does that thing to you that art can do um yep. that that feels important.
0: You know, at the top of the show when you recommended Ocean Vuong's Book of Poems, it reminded me On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous oh. has some mother son Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't
1: think about that.
0: And I would have forgotten about that, except I heard him on a podcast recently talking about how he grew up surrounded by women and his relationship with his mother and with his aunts was really formative. Mm. So I don't recall how central the mother stuff son is to the story. Um, also not super light reading, no. but beautiful, definitely moving and, and worthwhile. And I wish that I had gotten to the word moving when we were having that conversation about Pachinko. Yeah,
1: I think that's what we mean, right? Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's tough, but important. That means we've been yeah. moved by it uh, to yeah. some degree. That's our show, Rebecca. We got through them all. I forgot to, to do an Audible second ad spot. Barker. So I'm going to to go find a place. If you had listened, if you've listened to the show all the way to this point, you might've heard an abrupt transition to an ad and that's because we got so into recommending that my normal (coughs) checklist manifesto process uh, for doing these spots. I I was off script. I was outside of my normal. I didn't have the normal agenda where I I usually try to find a spot between stories to do it, but I'm sure we'll work out fine. Uh, Rebecca, as always, really Uh, enjoyable and uh, educating to hear your own picks and how they go together. And thanks to everyone out there.
0: This is always so much fun. Just folks, a quick reminder to check out bookriot.com slash listener survey. So you can let us know about, you know, what you might like to hear more of here and other podcasting preferences. I am personally interested and in if any of y'all pick up these books we recommended for you so please like shoot us a follow-up email let us know if we won if we lost if your parents <laughs> hated them we'll, we'll take any and all data about that and if you want to join us over at the Patreon it's patreon.com slash podcast. the newest episode over there as of the time this airs will be that winner draft look back and then as Jeff just alluded to coming up as a conversation about Pachinko and some of our other uh, recent television viewing that has has a, a bit of a literary bent to it as well.
1: That's right. Rebecca, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you all real soon.